Are we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. Ow! What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck, Nicks? What the fuckstables? What the fuckadelics? What the fuckaholics? Uh, what the fuck? It's New Year's Eve, if you're listening to this on the day that it was dropped. A happy New Year's Eve to you. Please try to live through tonight so you can enjoy the new year tomorrow, at least for a day. And then you can do whatever you have to do. But let's let's all make it one more day. What do you say? What do you say, people? I am Mark Marin. This is New Year's Eve day that you're listening to me, hopefully. And uh, before I get off on, on talking or reflecting about the last year, which was a doozy in a good way, I uh, hope it was okay for you. Well, you know, they all come with a little, uh, little of this, a little of that, a little good, a little bad. Uh, but if you're listening to this, you're still alive. So you made it another year, which generally is a, a good thing. Today on the show, I have Adam Schlesinger, uh, formerly, or no, currently from the band Fountains of Wayne, but he's also like a, he's an interesting guy because he's, he's one of the, he's a musician that was in a popular rock band. They had a hit and, you know, they did the thing, but he also kind of broadened his, uh, his ability to be a professional musician. And it's, it's sort of a unique conversation in that, that I've never had before uh, with a musician. The, the other, you know, because that's a hell of a racket, man. If you figure out the music thing, and you nail it, money just comes rolling in in all sort of different ways. But uh, good cat, talk to him. But before I get into uh, the tour stuff, a couple of things. Look, Thursday, I'm going to tell you right now, I got Michael Keaton on the show. And that was no easy thing. It was all, it, it wasn't that it was a difficult thing, but it was all very surprising the way it came about. And I don't want to tell you the story, but uh, he came over here. Uh, the other night and we hung out right here and we talked for like an hour and a half and it was great. I mean, Michael Keaton was one of the funniest, biggest stars ever. And what's he been up to? Where's he been at? What's he been thinking? Well, that's going to happen on Thursday. So just a heads up on that. All right. The tour dates. Let me try to get this right because I know a lot of you people have been wanting to see me, and I have not come to your general area. Well, the Out of the Garage Tour 2013 starts in earnest, really, uh, February 1st. Now, some of you know I'm going to be at the Improv in Fort Lauderdale, January 4th through 6th. I'm going to be at Good Nights in Raleigh, North Carolina, January 10th through 12th. I'll be at the Ice House here in Pasadena on January 13th, and uh, I will be... At the Wilbur Theater on February 8th, doing a live WTF and a, 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 a nice big hunk of stand-up the same night. But now the other dates are coming in. I just wanted to give you guys a heads up. There is a pre-sale for the Out of the Garage Tour. And this uh, includes all the dates I'm about to tell you, except for San Francisco, which I'll get into. Uh, and that starts on Wednesday the 2nd at 10 a.m. And it goes until Thursday the 3rd, 10 p.m. And you can go to Ticketmaster.com or LiveNation.com and search my name and use the password Bazooka for pre-sale. All right, that's that. The San Francisco show, which is going to be in, on April 13th, those tickets will go on pre-sale on the 9th. 
it's all getting very complicated. There's also a Eugene, Oregon show on March 2nd that is not up on the uh, docket yet, but is happening. So let me give you these dates quickly. But it's important. This is my first big you know, tour, and uh, it's an organized tour. I'll be, uh, I'll be at the Egg in Albany on February 1st. I will be uh, at the 6th and 1st Historic Synagogue in Washington, D.C. on February 2nd. I will be at the Wilbur on February 8th, as I said. I will be at the Hooky Lau in Chicopee, Massachusetts on February 9th. I'll be at Bogarts in Cincinnati on February 14th. I'll be at the Capitol Theater in Columbus, Ohio on February 15th. I will be in Vancouver for the Comedy Festival. It's not clear what that show is going to be yet. I will be at the Aladdin Theater on February 28th in Portland, Oregon. I will be at the Neptune Theater in Seattle uh, on March 1st. And as I said, I will be in Eugene, Oregon on March 2nd. Uh, so that's all. That's uh, pending somehow. It's not up yet. But those are the dates. So there you go. I gave you the info. Pre-sale starts Wednesday, the 2nd at 10 a.m. And it goes till uh, Thursday, uh, the 3rd, till 10 p.m. The password is bazooka. That said, you know what's happening. Michael Keaton on fucking Thursday. How insane is that? Pow! I just shit my pants for the last time this year. Just coffee.coop available at WTFpod.com. All right, dig it. So last year, let's let's get in it, man. I got to be completely honest with you. Uh, you people have made my life uh, completely better, different. Uh, I'm humbled. I'm grateful. Last year was the busiest, most interesting, and ex- exciting year of my life. Not only is the podcast continually evolving uh, and getting better, or at least maintaining its uh, its consistency, and I'm still thrilled doing it, and I, I love doing it. But uh, you know, I made a TV show that I think is coming out pretty fucking good. Uh, I'm working on. I'm almost done with the second draft of a book. This is all stuff. I, I got to tell you this. For my creative friends out there, I had given up on any of this shit, any of this shit happening. I'd given up on it. And you know that. And and that's when things started to turn around for me. The, the podcast, I had no idea what was going to happen with this thing. But I certainly wasn't going to write another book. I certainly thought that TV was never going to happen for me. I thought at that best, you know, I could continue plugging along doing comedy. But because of everything that's happening and because I've sort of found my place in this world... My comedy's never been better either. It's it's amazing. Now I'm trying not to you know think the worst or that things are because things are going well or or, or they're all gonna you know turn to shit. I'm, I'm not gonna think that or or cause it. I'm not gonna rest on my laurels. But you know, those of you who know me, there's always the chance I will take the laurels and throw them on the ground and stomp on them and say, "Ha, so fuck you." There, there's that possibility. But obviously, last year was you know there was some loss and some tension and and things are, are challenging. You know, I lost a cat. Um, which was bad. It's still bad. I still look for him. And, uh, you know, so Boomer's gone. I, I could lose some weight. My cholesterol's a little high. Uh, yeah, I still haven't uh, decided what to do about the, uh, the, the baby dilemma. I'm not, you know, I'm not, you know, it's, I'm not sitting on the fence with this. I'm just trying to weigh these decisions out. But, you know, my health is okay. You know, I'm financially okay. Uh, my house is okay. Things are okay. And that's fucking great. So that was a good year. You know, when I look at the plus and minus column, things are okay. And I'm hoping that this year will just, you know, continue to be okay. You know, I don't hope for great. Let's all hope for okay. Can we all do that? Can we all join hands and just say like, hey, let's let's be okay. That's a big deal, man, to be okay. And not to throw my laurels on the ground and step all over them. 
But uh, I don't really have any resolutions aside from, you know, try to be a little less sensitive out there in the world and not be so reactive. I'm going to re-engage my no troll engagement policy. I'm going to buttress myself for some criticisms uh, when it comes to putting myself out there more. That means I'm going to get some more, I'm going to catch some more flack, learn how to deal with that, detach a bit. I'm going to treat my girl better and uh, and try to continue to, uh, to, to be grateful and humbled by whatever's happening at this point in my life because I'm no youngster, folks. And I want you all to have a happy new year. I want to thank, uh, thank Sam and thank uh, Sam Varela, my, my, uh, my assistant. And, uh, you know, I want to thank everybody who's been involved with this show and continues to, uh, to support the show, my guests, and uh, also, also my, uh, my sponsors. Uh, I really appreciate it. And all of you people out there, it uh, doesn't happen without you. It would continue happening, but without your uh, your listenership and your your support of the show, I, I don't know that I would have the same uh, the same intensity or desire or reason to carry on. So thank you and happy New Year to you. So now let's talk to Adam Swessinger, and uh, I got to say it one more time, you guys. Michael Keaton is on Thursday. All right, just between you and me. Adam Schlesinger, Schlesinger, Schlesinger. Schlesinger. Yeah? Yeah. From uh, Fountains of Wayne and many other things. You are a professional musician. I am indeed. My girlfriend loves Fountains of Wayne. Cool. Yeah. Tell her thanks. Yeah, no, I mean, maybe you'll be able to meet her. I I, I think she's going to be cranky and exhausted. I bet you're excited about that. Wouldn't it be fun to meet a cranky and exhausted fan? That's what I was hoping would yeah, happen Yeah, well, I, I figured that's why you came over here. So what are you doing in L.A.? You don't live here now, do you? I don't live here, no. Um, I come out here sometimes for work and work-related yeah. stuff. And I've been uh, working on a television show that's got a lot of music in it. And uh, so I'm out here this week so doing that. That's like This is a thing that like I talk to musicians. You know, Not a lot of them, but I've been talking to musicians lately. I've talked to the likes of Nick Lowe, yep. Jack White, up and coming guys. Sure, yeah. yeah, you know, new guys, yeah, new guys on the block. Yeah, but there's this there's this idea about musicians that you know, like if people haven't heard from him in, them in a while, or that they're not as popular as they used to be. I'm not saying that about you necessarily, but they're like, what are they doing? Right. But you've been doing things all along. Um. Yeah. I mean. I, you know, the band thing was always kind of at the center of it for me, but I, I always had this kind of other life just doing music for hire or whatever, whatever somebody called me to do. And, yeah. and uh, Chris, who's the singer in Fountains of Wayne, just calls me a music whore, which is sort of true, too. A but, music whore. Yeah. But, you know, basically, I just wanted to make a living making music. And I also like a lot of different kinds of music. And yeah. so, um, you know, Chris and I went to college together and we, we started playing in bands together even in college. Where'd and, you grow up? I grew up in uh, well in Manhattan as a little kid, and then Montclair, New Jersey, for you know New Jersey most, most of my upbringing. Yeah, Montclair, New Jersey. My family's yeah. from Pontoon Lakes, New Jersey, yeah. and Jersey City. Like Montclair yeah. is close to that, right? Uh, yeah, very very close to that. Stuff. Willowbrook Mall, Willowbrook Mall. Yep, Paramus Park. Well, Fountains of Wayne was named after a store in Wayne, New Jersey, which is right next to the Willowbrook Mall. It's I lived there, in it's Wayne, not, not there anymore. But, I lived yeah. in Wayne, New Jersey. You did. There's like I don't remember much about it because I was like literally six years old. Right. But I lived in Wayne, New Jersey, and that's where the Fountains of Wayne store is. It, it's not there anymore. It was there for my entire childhood, but they closed a few years ago. But we took 
we took the band name from that place. What is that? That's your phone. There's a lot going on on your phone right now. I thought I just turned it off. Okay, done. Yeah, so anyway, um, I grew up there and um, went to college in Massachusetts, Western Mass. Met Chris Collingwood there, and we were both aspiring songwriters, and we started playing in bands together there. And then when we got out of college, we, we were doing the band thing, but then I was also just trying to get work making music for whatever, so I had some friends that got involved in television that called me and hired me to do... One of, one of the earlier things I did was... Uh, friend of mine was working with John Leguizamo and he had a sketch comedy show that, that was on Fox for like five seconds. Right. It was called House of Buggin'. Yeah. And, and, uh, I kind of remember that. He called me up to work on that and then after that um, I got hired to work on the Dana Carvey show, another sketch comedy show and that was a really cool show because it was like, you know, all the people that came from that. Louis were, and were, Robert hired you? Uh, Robert, yeah, was was like running it and, and Louis and it's like... Uh, Robert Smigel. Robert Smigel, yeah. So, yeah. but so they how does how does that work? Well, let's go let's go back to the the Fountains of Wayne thing because yeah. um, Fountains of Wayne is a pop band. It is, yes, power pop. I guess you would call it. Cat, you know, uh, would you, would yeah. you call it that? I mean, we don't really call it that, but that we get put in that category. That's a, sort of a funny term that I don't really know what it means. But where it's a pop band, I mean, it's sort of like melodic and it's you know yeah, no, not it's so fun. like riff sweet. driven yeah you know yeah. it's sweet it's got those minor chords that uh, <laughs> uh that my friend got minor and major got all that shit that jonathan daniel uh yeah. loves yeah. The, the the sweet pop sound jonathan daniel is our manager i know yeah. old friend of mine yeah. i would have him on the show if you could get him to talk yeah he's here he's in town is he yeah just get him over here right well, now he's your manager he let's should text be him. here let's text him say quick you're needed He'll be like, i'm not gonna go yeah. over there yeah. Soft-spoken John. A lot going on behind that uh, not yeah. talking much. Yes, he's a very smart man. Uh, but okay, so this is, the era is what, mid-90s? You put this band together. Well, we actually had kind of a false start in the early 90s. We had yeah. a pre-band band Fountains of Wayne, and we made a record that never came out, and we signed a really crappy record deal that screwed us up for a while. And we thought we were kind of done, and we thought we'd just blown it. You know, we were like 24, and we were just like, fuck, it's over. Yeah, we and blew so, it. We went our separate ways for a while. Chris was living in Boston. I was living in New York. I started playing in a different band called Ivy, uh, which got that going. It's a whole different kind of thing. And, and um, I also started doing more just whatever, television, whatever I could get involved with. And then Chris and I got back together a couple years later. And, and it was like, it was that thing where we sort of thought it was too late anyway, so who gives a shit? So we started writing these songs. I mean, Chris actually started it with this song called Radiation Vibe, which he kind of wrote as a joke. Yeah. And I, and I loved it. I, and it, was, it just had a lot more um, kind of loose spirit to it than some of the stuff we had done earlier. Yeah. You know, we weren't trying so hard. Right. So that song opened up this kind of floodgate of writing for both of us. And we wrote this, what became that first Fountains Wayne record. Um, really quickly wrote a lot of it sitting in a bar in the West Village and just kind of goofing around but but people were responding to that stuff a lot more than the stuff we had done three years before that anyway it just had much more life to it well was it um, because that that kind of music was seeing a, a kind of resurgence because I know there was a period where where power pop kind of went out of favor somehow and and it's kind of like uh, got bullied out by uh by just uh, grunge and a lot of other stuff but there the sweet kind of music like the cars and I guess the Smithereens were before you, right? Yeah, and I mean were- that, that was funny because there was this period in the in the mid '90s. You know, it was after Nirvana and all that stuff, and then there was this other wave of bands like Weezer and Presidents of the United States and right. stuff that was like kind of you know like white Goofier. guys with guitars. Yeah, it had more humor in it. Yeah, and that stuff started actually selling records. You right, know? and so for a second there, it was like a band like I seemed like a commercial prospect to somebody, which was kind of a funny idea. But but um, but also just we were just making better songs than we had been. And so, you know, 
people got interested in it and we ended up actually getting to make a record and at that point you know getting a, like a major label record deal actually meant something there was like some money attached to that and a little more exposure now, money and, and shame and uh and potential uh debt yeah yeah all did that you stuff, did so. you have one of those uh those uh situations where you ended up getting fucked by a record company um you know i would i wouldn't say we ever really got fucked you know yeah. I, I think like we we're always kind of left alone just because except for maybe that first five minutes yeah no, nobody had these like great expectations for us so for better or worse we were left alone to make the records we wanted to make and, we, and you know the, the best thing is like we didn't ever put out anything we were ashamed of like we had we had a lot of friends on major labels where they just got pressured into writing with people they didn't want to write with really or, yeah i mean that there was a lot that yeah I, mean, I don't know how much it happens these days but yeah. back then uh, yeah i had a lot of friends that ended up kind of getting bullied into putting out records that they didn't like how does that how does that work though? Like who decides that? An executive? It's it's just, you know, it's it's not so different from the way a television show can get screwed up or yeah. a movie. I mean, it's like you're making this record and then somebody says you really need the one song that's going to get you on the radio and in order to write that you need to write with this guy that yeah. just had five of them and uh, you don't really like his music but yeah. you go along with it to be a team player right and, you know and, and then and then you don't really like what you end up with but they like it and, and then you just end up blaming some other guy for why yeah. you're, you're i mean sometimes that stuck. can work sometimes sometimes you end up with a cool hit song and everybody's happy but but i just i've ha I had a lot of friends that ended up with records they didn't like and it kind of soured the whole experience uh, you know it's so. awful it's awful to have something out there that you hate yeah, and uh, and you're you're sort of held responsible for it. Yeah, and it's not really your thing. Yeah, I mean everybody has that to some extent. Sure, you try to police it <laughs> if you can. The uh, the, you the, the uh, just uh, the little shame packets. Yeah, we, yeah. We leave along and then the, the internet way. makes them just last forever now too. Yeah, so now they can go look at them and laugh at you. No escaping your shame packet. No time. Well, time is just compressed now. All the embarrassing things you did are just fresh. Oh yeah, always yeah. ever present, evergreen. Yeah. yeah, there's you in your most embarrassing situation. <laughs> yeah, but uh, like you grew up. Are you Jewish guy? I am, yes. So you grew up uh, Jewishly, at least Jewish in New Jersey. Yeah, are you familiar with this at all? Sure. Is this, this, is, this is my roots, Jewish yeah. in New Jersey. Yeah. And uh, like, what was what? What did your what folks do? Are they are they happy? I think uh, they're, they seem you? very happy now. Yeah, yeah, they're happy. They they were always you know supportive. They thought it was um, a generally unrealistic thing to try to be a musician, but they didn't tell me not to. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, they came from families that were you know my, my mom's uh parents were both professional musicians and music professors and really? stuff and, and both my parents were musicians not professionally but both played and really yeah what's so. your what's your dad play he played sax and clarinet still does and uh you know i mean we used to like jam out and stuff he's he's good you know he's a good player really yeah and what'd your mom play my mom played piano and cello Oh so, my god! So there's a lot, you know, there's music in the house and stuff. What and a sweet situation that is! Very, yeah, and we just every night there was a jam. No, that's not true. No, every, but, every weekend, right? No, but I mean, there was a lot of music. I mean, they didn't know anything about popular music. They definitely came from um, different worlds of classical. Music. Um, classical. My dad knew a lot about jazz. Um, neither of them really knew much about pop or rock. But 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 so when you're a kid, that means you were uh, what learning how to read music very early. I, yeah, Probably. I like took piano lessons. It's required of young Jewish men to take piano. I lessons. never took them. I, I yeah. went right to guitar, and I and it's I, not too late. You know, there's a lot of good teachers. I in think this it area. might be too late. Yeah, it might be too late. I mean, I don't know if I can do the uh, one hand doing the other thing. That the you know what I mean that yeah. thing. Like yeah. I, I still can't finger pick. Yeah, like I can't. You know, like the whole idea, like get the bass going over here and the other thing going here. Yeah, yeah. I, it's it's well, you're doing it's, it in the air right yeah, now. Yeah, it's scaring me now. Yeah, the, the idea, like, what if I'm thinking about this one too much? But yeah. I guess, but you know how to play piano. I do, yeah. That's sort of my main instrument. I mean, I became a 
bass player and then later a guitar player, mainly because I, you know, in, in like high school bands, I didn't like being stuck behind the keyboard. I like to be able to move around a little bit. So I, I learned that later. And now I, I play the, I, I write more on guitar and I, I play bass in the band. But So you were in a stage band? In high school, like that kind of band. Uh, like, no, it was like a, no, it was like a rock band, but it, I mean, bad rock band. But oh, high school it was band, early oh, attempt at like, like not like marching band no, or the other thing. Like there was a stage band in my high school that I uh, I did not excel at. Yeah, yeah, I was part of it, and I told them I would learn how to read music, and I never did. So I just <laughs> I improvised badly, right, and right, thinking right. that no one could hear the bass. Like I was a guitar player, and I did, I chose to do the bass because I had a bass. Yeah. I didn't know how to play the bass. Yeah, and I really thought that I could just hide. You could just turn it down, and yeah. nobody would notice you weren't doing anything. Yeah, I thought nobody that, would like, miss those low frequencies. Right? How how important is the bass right. to a band? It's not that really. I no, mean, I think it is. Yeah. Isn't it? It is very. I'm kidding. It's, but, a, it's a spine, right? Yeah. Well, I, I guess it's all important, really. Uh huh. Yeah. Now, like growing up with the with the musicians and families, you never got any of that judgment of like you're throwing your life away. What are you doing? Um. You, no, not really. I mean, there, there, you know, there was enough going on sort of early on that it didn't seem like a total um, delusion on my part to, right. to try to do it. You know, there was enough encouragement, but the, you know, there was definitely um, some some sort of um, mar- markers along the way. I mean, you know, the, the 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 sort of bigger thing for me, at least on my, you know, on, the, on like my family's radar. I mean, the band thing was all good, but in, then in. Um, in in 1996, I wrote this song called "That Thing You Do" for for Tom Hanks' movie, and that was like a big door opener. And, and but how do you do? How does that happen? Okay, like walk me through how you write a song for a movie and what you do with it. I mean, how old are you at that point? Uh, when it came out, I was like 27 or 28. I, I actually probably wrote it like a year or so before that. I mean, so you're already in the band, Founds of Wayne. Well, it all kind of happened at once. It was a weird time for me. There's a lot going on. I mean, I because that was a huge song, right? It was a huge song for me. I mean, you know, I, but didn't it, was it charted? Didn't it? It charted, yeah. yeah. And the you know the movie did pretty well, but but um, but uh, you know the way that happens is that there's a lot of these things you hear about of like they're looking for stuff, and yeah. I, I I at the time was had just signed um with a music publishing company, and part of what they're supposed to do is like tell you about this stuff that's out there, and it's kind of like most of it's like really cattle call. You know, yeah. I mean, you learn later that you can just waste your whole life taking shots at this stuff, and sure. mostly it's a waste of time. But for whatever reason, um, you know, I got really lucky with that one. I did a demo. I heard, you know, they called me up, um, the people from this music publishing company. Yeah. Said, it's a movie that's set in the early 60s. It's kind of Beatlesque. It's about a band, and this is really up your alley. You should take a shot at this. And so I did this I demo. I saw the movie, by the way. Oh, cool. I saw it, yeah. Yeah. So it was it, not the Beatle-like band. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I did this demo with uh, two friends of mine, Mike Viola, who is another songwriter, lives out here, and yeah. and, uh, and a guy named Andy Chase, who was in the band Ivy with me. We did this demo. The demo sounded great. It just sounded like an old record, and we, we knew it was pretty good, you know? Yeah. But we kind of sent it in and forgot about it, and then they actually ended up using it, so... So you get money on you know the initial payment for the, putting the song in the movie, and then you get money because it goes on a record. Did it go on the record? Yep, yep. And so you, and you wrote it. Like, how does it break down? Because I don't know if people know this, because I'm not sure I know it. If you write I'm not this, sure I know it either, but if checks you, suddenly start showing up that didn't show up before is what happens. But if you write the song, and if, yeah. you, if you have the publishing on the song, that's the place to be. That's one of the good places to be in the, you know, it, it's not as good as it was back then even, but, but really? yeah, I mean, being a writer is, is um, better than not being a writer. If you're in a band, you know, a lot of bands break up because they don't understand that, and then one guy writes the hit song, and he gets a million dollars, and everyone else is still broke. And, and they're like, and fuck the, you. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that happens all the time. Yeah. You know, so, 
Um, just some dudes who are getting together, and then when the deal goes down, the thing becomes a hit. They don't understand why. Yeah, and then you learn after the fact. Like, that, oh, yeah, he's driving a better car than us, and you yeah, know, why are that, we still it, on the it bus? It happens all the time. It happens all the time. Now, when you, so. wh- who was your, um, like, when, like, did, did you have a, like, because whenever I think about people that do what you do, which is stupid, I get this whole Tin Pan Alley kind of like, you know, you're very aware of the business of music early on, and yeah. that, you know, you, you could, uh, you know, sort of focus on creating specific types of music to make money off of, and that, it, and that's like a whole job unto itself. That's really not the sort of rock and roll dream. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess I never... Um, saw myself as being like the front man in a rock band or something. I felt like somebody that was a good um, executor of ideas. Like I could work with a lot of different people and figure out what they were going for yeah. and try to help get there. And it's it's not that different. Like if somebody calls me and says, we need a song about this or that sounds like this or, yeah. or you know, like that musical theater kind of thing, which which I ended up getting a little into too, where it's like, okay, here's what's happening in the story. We need a song to help tell this. I, I, I like kind of solving those puzzles with songs and it's it's a different part of your brain than just like i want to be the front guy in a rock band and but you wanted to be in a rock band i wanted to do it i liked you know i was like a beatle freak as a kid and i i wanted to be the beatles you can definitely hear that yeah in the the music that you do yeah which beatle um you know i probably was more of like a paul guy yeah you feel like a paul guy yeah so yeah you said that with total disdain (laughs) (laughs) yeah come on man no but i mean you know i i like i i i like everything about the beatles but i but then i i didn't even know there were really other bands for a long time as a kid i just knew about the beatles and then later i started listening to other stuff and i was like oh i like this too oh yeah isn't that weird beatles songs are almost like christmas carols it's i'm always amazed at how many somebody actually wrote them is a weird thought like somebody sat down and think all right yeah but like you even when I go back to it now, you know, when I listen to the certain Beatles albums, I'm like, where the fuck did this come from? Yeah. How did this happen? Yeah. And how it's never happened again. I mean, people can, you know, cop it or 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 learn from it. Right. But there are certain records where you're like, at the time it came out, it's like, how does this even fucking happen? Yeah. Like Revolver. Like, where does that where does that come from, that that music? And they also just to me seemed like you know, they figured out this way to just be able to do whatever they felt like doing on that day and still was the Beatles. Whereas, like, the, the Rolling Stones, it was just like they kind of had the shtick and, and that was it. And it was cool shtick, but it was like, you know, I just felt like the Beatles could have probably done the Rolling Stones shtick if they wanted to one day, but they couldn't have necessarily gone Musically. Yeah, I mean, it's a vibe, but it's you, like... You know, they, they're not gonna, you're not going to be able to manifest the sexual menace I, I can. Rolling Many people can. I, I feel you just yeah. turned it on and off right there, didn't you? Yeah, but I'm tired. So yeah, that's yeah. it. Just, I mean, you know, I, I have a story about that. When I was at the, um, I went to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh-huh. Have you been? No. Really? Oh, yeah, we did go. We did, yeah. And you go to the area where the, it's actually the Beatles and Stones are sort of in the same vicinity. Yeah. And they have like, uh, you know, the Stones, they got a bunch of costumes, a few contracts, whatever. And then there's a video monitor and it's running like uh, some performance footage from probably the early 70s. Yeah. You know, Jumping Jack Flash and you know, some behind the scenes, you know, stage stuff. Yeah. But it's this one video running. And then you go like on literally on the opposite wall is the Beatles wall. Right. And, and there they have a screen and around the screen is every Beatles record. And it's sort of like you know, one record will light up and it'll be the Beatles and George Martin, you know, talking about that, you know, mm-hmm. with some, you know, with some, uh, that document, that sort of, it's documentary, but it's sort of moving, you know, the images around. It's not right. real documentary footage. And it just went through all the Beatles records. Yeah. And sort of about every two Beatles records, you'd hear the Rolling Stones footage start over again. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. It's a lot more info. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So to me, that sort of explains the difference. Right. But, so you're never a Stones guy? Anymore? No. 
anyone? I was. I I I like the Stones. I'm so, you, you have a huge Stones poster. I yeah. just realized. Yeah, I'm not uh, <laughs> right I'm not behind gonna, your head. I'm not going to get too defensive. Right. But no, I I mean I love the Beatles. There's no way around it. And and yeah. I don't know. You know the Stones thing. I you know I was a big Keith Richards guy. I mean I aspired to the rock and roll ideal for me was just drugs and come on yeah. let's fucking play the blues. Yeah. You do not come from that. Um, that wasn't an accusation. It was more of a a statement posed as a question. The funny thing is that um, some of the pop bands are actually like the most depraved. I'm not talking about myself, but I'm saying like well, when you actually get names, to know, man. I can, I, you know, I'm not, I, I, but it's true. <laughs> like you, especially these days, like you meet these kids that are in like heavy metal bands or yeah. whatever, and they're just totally professional and like you know they're like keep business cards on file and they're really careerist. Well, heavy metal's a little, it's a little bit labor intensive, man. You know, I don't to know, do that. But it's just like, I know a lot of guys that are in these like power pop bands that are just really fuck ups and, yeah. and like, maybe it's because of the fact that it's not really commercial music. So it's like this futile thing to begin with on well, some level. But well, I, I think, well, it is more commercial now. It seems like, uh, cause I used to talk to your, to John Daniel, your manager. Yeah. Now we were friends, you know, years ago and he's the one who actually, you know, taught me the difference between, you know, what is defined as pop and what is rock and this whole, you know, this whole world of music that could just not find a market. Uh, you know, I guess, you know, who are the seminal power pop bands like Big Star and... Uh, it depends how you define it. I don't really know. Like Thin Lizzy. They were big, though. Yeah. Um, I guess Cheap Trick is sort of considered a power pop band, Definitely, but they were big. Yeah. Cheap Trick is... You know, one of my favorite bands, right? And, but there was they had this small window, I guess. They, but they were kind of unique in the way they they uh, they structured songs, and it seemed a little sweeter and then yeah. a little more melodic. Yeah. And and like for most of uh, the '60s and '70s, and I, you know, most of the '80s, it was just everything was steamrolled by you know rock and roll and synth music, and there was just never really a place for it. And now it yeah. seems like most of the bands, certainly the young bands, are from a pop tradition. You know, I mean, Green Day's you know sort of a power pop. Yeah, band. totally like, are. Especially like what they're doing right now. They just put out this record that's just really power pop. And now you're putting out country records. I am. No, did you? <laughs> Wasn't the last found Zwayne a little twangy? Um, it had its twangy moments. It's definitely not a country record. <laughs> yeah. it's you know. I mean, did Jonathan produce that one? Did he produce? No, he's no. not. A, he, I mean, he might be a record producer, but he's a manager. He doesn't. He doesn't get in the he, studio with oh, us. Oh, that's too bad. He's, yeah. he's kind of a. He's got a. He's got an ear for it. He does. He yeah. does. He has a really good ear for songs. I mean, he. Um, you know, that's. I think that's his thing. He's. He's. He's got an ear for songs. But. But. Um, well, getting back to uh, what defining power pop. Let's do that. Help me out. I don't really know, and we. We. I mean. I, I think that it's it. We if people use that with us, we 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 sometimes see it as a little bit of an insult because it's sort of it's almost like you're just trying to recreate something that already happened and you're just trying to like ape it and you know we i think we we do more of like picking bits and pieces of music history that we like and then trying to put our own spin on it and i i think with our band it's like we might do a song that sounds like 70s fm radio or it might sound like 60s you know yeah. beach boy stuff or it yeah. might sound like 80s new wave but for us, it's like putting some kind of lyric on top of that that you might not expect, and that's that juxtaposition that well, I makes that. it seem a little fresh. We hope. right, but it's it's not quite a you. I would it's 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 not a satire. It's a homage kind of. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't know. You sort of you, you're good at copying sounds. We're we're definitely good at copying sounds, and and but but um, 
Yeah, I mean, there's a fine line. Like sometimes it can get close to the point of being like just you know silly or or just too funny, and then there's other times where it's, we try to go completely the other way and be really sincere. And we sometimes felt like people don't give us credit for actually having songs that are, actually are just straight ahead and sort of heartfelt and not well, jokey at all. And you you, you, know, know? you feel you don't get the credit for it because they're used to you being sort of uh, I don't know if the word is glib, but at least um, you know kind of uh, tongue and cheeky. Well, yeah, and I think you know, like the biggest song we had was was probably also the most like novelty esque song we had. Stacey's so, mom, yeah. So, so bec- that's what most people, if they know us at all, they probably know that. And right, they don't know that there's other stuff that has nothing to do with that. There's a lot of sweet, heartfelt songs, but yeah, but I mean that song, it. I, I think that kind of music that that kind of music when it locks in it locks into all ages. Like you know, there's you know that sound of 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 pop or or even that car sound of that song. I mean, little girls can like it, and uh, you know, like middle aged ladies can like it. It's sweet. Yeah, I'll take sweet. That's okay. <laughs> sweet is good. But but the guitar sound on state on Stacy's mom is like uh, it's exactly the cars. It is. In fact, Rick O'Case apparently thought that we actually sampled it, and and you know I, I heard him say that in an interview somewhere, which we didn't. But it's. it's Did you uh, get any flack from Okasik? No, no flack. No, no? just I I don't think he said it in like a you know like I'm going to sue you kind of way. It's no just, accusations. Yeah, but I mean it was it was an obvious homage. <laughs> yeah, well, we're trying to deny it. And the video was an obvious homage. Yeah, just, a bunch just, of stuff. Yeah, that's kind of a dirty video. I, I, you know, I went and watched it today for some it, reason. It's, yeah, it's a little sexy, a little charged up. Yeah, our friend Chris Applebaum um, directed that, and we kind of left it to him. And we, we were a little bit concerned when we showed up the day of that shoot, and there was like, I guess in my mind when I wrote the song, I was picturing more like you know older teenagers but when he cast the video it was like really little kids and we were like yeah it's okay we we, might be kind of racy yeah kind of sexual sexual somehow we got away with that but but um it definitely was and then and then like um you know not that long after that there was this whole thing with mtv where janet jackson janet jackson sort of uh exposed herself at the super bowl and then they got much more conservative like right after that so that video would have never been on the air just made it under the wire yeah like six months later they had they got really conservative your your borderline pedophilia yeah i know we had to totally change our strategy (laughs) guys no more pedophilia for at least two quarters (laughs) good for you man Mm -hmm. so but that that song came out after you guys split up for a while what does it mean when when a band like i mean because you guys seem to get along did was there like because i don't really you know i don't talk to many band people yeah we we never really split up it's just between every record we kind of stopped being a band for a while and i think chris in particular has always even from just the beginning has had really like mixed feelings about whether he wants to be doing it at all and and between every record he's like i don't know if i want to make another record and it, it always ends up taking us three what or four years what else is what is what else does he do i don't know well that's the thing eventually he, he realizes maybe nothing and he wants to do it again but it just you know he's just not he doesn't love the whole process he he doesn't always love touring he doesn't you know what about the other two guys um they would get pretty impatient and be like what what the fuck are we doing why yeah. aren't we playing why aren't we recording you know those guys were you know they, they're usually itching to do more and how long have you known those two guys um well jody who's the guitar player i actually he's I'm, good man he, yeah he's amazing and I, I saw you when you were here at the troubadour i met him um when he was looking for a bass player for his own band in like about 1991 and i played bass for that band it was called the bell tower uh-huh. i met him through an ad in the village voice and he had just moved back from england he's american but he had just moved back from where he'd been living in england right. I, played, I played with him for a minute and then that band sort of ended and then when we started up fountains of wayne i said maybe you should come do this with us um and then brian um 
we got introduced by a mutual friend. He he was the drummer in another kind of power pop band called the Posies from from Seattle. Yeah, yeah I know them. Yeah, and he was living in Seattle, and we met him, and you know we got together with him, and um, we played a bunch of Steve Miller songs, and and you know in like ten minutes we're like, all right, this is the guy. What did you do? Fly like an eagle. Jet Airline. Yeah, I just did all of them, and yeah. and and uh, our manager. At Why the Steve time, Miller? Because we like Steve Miller, and it was just it wasn't like a plan. We just got in a room and said, "All right, well, how do we audition a drummer?" And the, you know, we just by accident started playing Steve Miller songs, and he knew them all. And we were like, "All right, Joker." Yeah, yeah. So you our, like our manager was really mad at us because we picked the drummer that lives in Seattle, and we all lived in New York then. Right. He's like, "Can't you find a guy in New York? You're gonna have to fly him in every time you do anything." Yeah. But that's what we did, and you stuck with him. Yeah. So, like, I saw when I went to see the Troubadour. Yeah. Because like, I'm, I you know, I I knew Stacy's mom and knew a couple other songs, but like my girlfriend who is 29, uh, you know, she's like oh, and cranky way. usually. No, right? she just works hard. Okay, she's not usually cranky. She's right. just, uh, but uh, you know, she was so excited that you know I was able to to get us into your show, and you have fanatic, you know, you have real fans. But it was very cute. I'd never seen a tamer bunch, <laughs> and 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 also you know families. No, no mosh pit. There was no mosh pit. There was literally a family. There was a uh, a father, a mother, and two kids yeah. who looked like they were twelve or thirteen. Yeah. Who were right up front at that show, and they were all singing and dancing yeah. along to your song. Yeah, it's a wholesome experience. Our shows, but that's sweet. Yeah. I mean, does that does that make you feel good? It, mean, it is actually really nice when you see two generations that both actually like the music, and it's not just like the parents dragging the kids or vice versa. You know? Yeah, it's fascinating. It's great. And 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 you don't have. It seems like all your fans are pretty thoughtful, sensitive people. Um, You've cultivated a you not know, all of them, but but many of them are. Really, what's the biggest problem? Found we had we had a guy come on stage in uh, Glasgow early on. Well, and, yeah, well uh, fucking Glasgow. Yeah, he came on. He came on. We were, Chris and I were doing an acoustic duo kind of song, and he came on behind us completely naked. And took a piss in a glass and drank his own piss during the song. Really? Yes. Well, I, I, I'm not. I'm, I'm going to think that that so was that probably, guy was not at the Troubadour show that you saw. No, but I'm going to also think that he probably wasn't. Uh, whatever that had to do with it had nothing to do with being a fan. Yeah, it was not about Fountains of Wayne, right? Or right. maybe he misunderstood the name of your band. Yeah, he got confused. <laughs> but yeah. Glasgow is the most drunken, fucked up. Yeah, place yeah, I've it's ever not a good example. Life. You're right. I like the city, but I've never seen more public drunkenness in my life. Yeah. Where else have you been? Have you been all over the world? Um, we've done a lot of traveling, not all over. I mean, we, we've, we've done a fair amount in Japan, which has um, always been like a good you place for Japan? us. You big in Japan? We're medium in Japan. So <laughs> medium? We, we, we usually go to Japan at least once or twice a year, and uh, we've been going there since like the late 90s, so that's good, and we do some Europe stuff. Um, but uh, we don't, we don't, you know. In general, we don't tour as much as we used to either. I mean, you we seem very well adjusted and healthy, and, and not too uh, too worn out. For oh, a, thanks. For I look well rested <laughs> for a guy in a band. Yeah. Well, we're not touring right now. You know? What well, was the last tour that you went on? The one I saw you on. Yeah. When was that? That was like in the spring, well, maybe or something. a year ago or so. Or, yeah. I don't know. Was yeah. The last time you were. Yeah. I mean, th- lately we've been kind of doing these things of just doing a couple weeks here and there through two, three weeks, and it's not really like this grueling experience. Why do you do it? Why I mean, do we keep seem, doing it? Well, you seem like you know. It seems like you're diversifying a bit. You're doing some producing, right? I've done a bunch of producing. Yeah. Who have you produced? Oh, I mean, um, I've made some records with, uh, let's see, They Might Be Giants I did some stuff with. Um, that makes and, sense. Yeah, now I mean, when, they're friends in New York, we, and I worked with them and um, 
I mean, there's a band called Motion City Soundtrack that I yeah. did a record with. Um, Dashboard Confessional. I don't know. If yeah, you know. I've heard of them. Yeah, I've done, I've done. You know, I was into record producing more. I'm not. That's not my favorite gig, but I like it. Okay. What, now, what is it like? Okay, so now I can learn some more things. When somebody producing, I mean, when somebody like they might be giants who who have a very defined sound. Yeah. And you know, certainly it's it's up the alley of pop, but it's unique. And they and you talk to them about producing. What are they looking for from you? I think with them, it's just they like working with their friends. We just were friends already, and we have kind of similar. I mean, I was a huge fan of theirs. But what do you bring on. to it? Like, what what are the conversations? Like, I get like, it's when, just a different guys. I, in a con, in a context like that, it's just like we might as well be in a band together for a week. It's not. I don't think there's any hierarchy of like somebody's the boss or anything. It's more just like let's bring in somebody else's ideas and and kick them around. But and, like, what kind? What, what ideas? Like, you know, bring up the keyboard a little more. Maybe you should uh, you know sing this that way. Um, what if we did this? What if we added a layer of... Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of feel like my my skills that I might bring to a situation is like an arranger, like figuring out, you know, if somebody just plays a raw song on an acoustic guitar or keyboard, what can we do with this? Right. And also just sort of structuring it so that it's like stickier than it might be. You know, how do you, how do you make it... Stickier? Sort of, you mean like uh, stickier in the brain? Yeah, like, is like that a what's, word people what are the, use? Well, you know, I, I mean, a lot of a lot of like making a song memorable is just repeating the right parts and right. getting rid of the other parts. Right. So it's just it's sort of moving the pieces around and right. saying like, let's take this part and do this twenty five times in a row, and then everyone will remember <laughs> it. You know, so but so stuff like that, and then and then just um, uh, I don't know, Pro- production is just it's like a lot of little micro decisions that add up to something that hopefully just hits you as one thing and, and when you write songs because you, you know, i mean you've got a good sense of the hook and you've got a good sense of emotion i mean how much of how connected are you to it does it come from your life or do you you know i've asked this other songwriters and they're like no it's you know it's songwriting how do you i feel like for me my own life gets in there indirectly but but a lot of the stuff at least for the band for fountains of wayne a lot of this stuff is is sort of making up characters and telling stories and and it's it's more like fiction but then your own life kind of creeps in there and whether you want it to or not you're married i am yeah you got kids i got two daughters wow how old are they nine and five you're like a full-blown adult it's all happening (laughs) how old are you i'm 44 okay all right i'm 48 yeah we're getting up there, man. I know. I know. Are you friends with the Ween guys? Um, I think we've crossed paths. I'm not friends with them. You know, I'm a huge fan. I was just talking about Ween today because did you ever hear this Pizza Hut uh, jingle that they did? I heard about it. You got to check this out online. So they, I guess Pizza Hut asked them to do a, a a commercial at some point for this pizza that had the cheese inside the pizza. Right. I remember those. And inside so, the crust. Yeah. So yeah. They, they delivered these demos or whatever, like these jingles yeah. to, to Pizza Hut, and they did a clean version and a dirty version, as if as if the Pizza Hut would want a dirty version. Yeah, we'll go with the filthy so anyway, one. Anyway, it's, it's it's on YouTube, and I it's not worth me singing it for you, but you should. Well, the only reason I ask is that, like, I talked to Aaron Freeman, Aaron Freeman, mm-hmm. and uh, Gene Ween, you know, and he's sort of phasing, he's sort of moving away from it. He's, right. He just moved out here. He's already moving out here, and he wants yeah, to get yeah. involved in animation and soundtrack. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, I, I still, I mean, I think our whole attitude toward being in a band at this point is like, we wouldn't we wouldn't necessarily start a band right now, but we have this band, and it's fun, and it's a good band, and we have people that still want to come see us, so we keep doing it, but we do it, and then we don't do it for a while. And at least for me, I, I have gotten 
you know, really interested in doing other stuff that has nothing to do with it and, and, and like television stuff or whatever. What about the other guys? Are they like, what the fuck? No, I mean, mean, you know, everybody's different with four different personalities. I mean, Brian, the drummer is always busy. He's touring right now with uh, a band called Jesus and Mary Chain. Oh yeah. Yeah. Big band. Yeah. It's bigger than us. And it's, you know, and, um, so (laughs) So he's he's a guy. He's like, yeah, yeah, he's working, he's doing stuff. Um, Jody's, you know, has his own solo stuff that he does and plays, you know, Chris, Chris is, he's the front man of our, of our band. And so, I think for him, he's never been a guy that wants to be a chameleon and like, hey, let me put on a different hat and be this other thing. He just likes to sing his songs and play. And when he's not doing that, he likes to just chill out. And he lives up in uh, Western Mass, you know, kind of out in the woods. And he's just like, he moved out of New York City as soon as this kind of got up and running. Yeah. And um, that's like his style, you know. And, and oh, don't you don't you envy that? Sometimes I totally do, <laughs> but you know, it's, we're very like we're very different in that way. But but, um, but do you guys talk a lot? Or I mean, honestly, now no, because we when we're you know we've we've been talking since we were 18 so you know we, we talk I mean we email all the time and we do business together but like do we hang out the way we used to no we totally don't so there's no you know? there's no urgency anymore it must be kind of relaxing to not have that kind of uh, to put, not put that importance of uh, uh, you know the need to, to go out there and tour and risk um, you know being tragic yeah, I hope it doesn't get tragic. I mean, so there's well, definitely no, been you're, a- you're beloved. It's hard to get. I guess, but I guess that doesn't really protect you from that. But but I'm saying that you all seem okay. Like there's not one of you that's sort of like, oh, we gotta we're gonna have to go out because. You know, I, I don't you know. think anybody of the four of us would do it if they just dreaded it and hated it. I don't think it's like I think everybody still really likes, especially the performing part. I think they do it because it's fun to do and hopefully make a little money. But but it's you know not not that much money. It's mostly because still like playing. But none of you guys ever really had the dream of being superstars or rock stars. Or? I, I know. I mean, we all did yeah. at some point. But you know, like it, you just evolve with that. And yeah, tell me know. about that because I, I you know that that's sort of interesting to me because. Actually, John Daniel was, um, you know, when we were buddies, like, you know, he brought something up uh, to me that, that, you know, sort of changed my life around, like, you know, a grown-up is someone who who realizes their limitations. Yeah. And, well, he, you know, he himself, I mean, he was like a, a aspiring rock star and had a band I knew, and like I record knew deals and all that stuff. I knew him when he was, you know, uh, you know, just started, you know, he's working for the manager of The Cure. You know, and he was, you know, he'd sort of hit a, you know, a rough patch and he was, right. he was producing, you know, he had that band in New York with the dude Shane, that kind of, uh-huh. I don't remember the name of that band. Do you? Uh, it wasn't Candy. I mean, he's obviously in Candy, but he's a very impressive cat. Yeah. You know, he's got a real love of the music business. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, he, he, t- but he, he also remembers to actually enjoy what he's doing, which a lot of people don't. Like, he's just, he seems like a guy that just still has fun on a day to day basis and, like, yeah, doesn't well, get I mean, too worked up about stupid shit. And that's now, part of their, now, yeah. cause he, you know, he came out on top. Right. You know, but, uh, you know, the, the, the path of the, the artist or the musician, you know, it's just littered. That road is just littered with broken dreams and people that are bitter and fucking. You know. Well, uh, one thing I've found is that, um, you know, I mean, this probably goes for all entertainment, but definitely as a musician, if you're out there trying to like make things happen, whether it's your band or trying to get songs in some other filmed entertainment or something, it's like most stuff doesn't happen. Most stuff doesn't pan out. And you can just sit around being like pissed off and depressed all the time. Or, or you can just sort of accept that that's just the nature of it. And, and that's your job. Yeah, and, and it's again. also just like, 
at this point I've had enough like positive reinforcement to know like well I'm pretty good at this you know it's like there might be people that hate what I give them and don't want to use it right but I'm not going to suddenly think like I'm a failure because of that you know I just like well this wasn't right for whatever this context was but you you guys put out what five or six records five records um yeah I guess six what did we do what did we do well we put out I think we put out five albums and then there was one that was like this kind of b-sides compilation with a lot of stuff on it so fountains of wayne the very first album yeah didn't really that what it was not a major release or what that was uh a, a major label release and it yes. was a, it was a, a big record it was your introductory record did did it provide the uh, record company hope and excitement um i think they thought it was going to do better than it did it did okay but it, it wasn't like this smash you and know? who were you touring with when you guys toured on the record um we the first tour we did we did a couple of weeks with the Lemonheads. That was like our first actual opening? tour. Oh yeah, of course, opening. And and they were really big then. And yeah. you know, and then the second tour we did was opening for the Smashing Pumpkins, which was in arenas. And um, we 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 were friends with those guys, and and they were doing these like. Uh, make- was that the second record? Or no, was this that was still, still on first our, our first record. Okay. I mean, we had barely played at all at that point, and they asked us to come and do these like uh, arena shows with yeah. them. Yeah. And um, how was that? I mean, I, I mean, I can it, well, see. Well, it, it made us get our act together really fast because we really were pretty green as a band, uh-huh. and and we right away had to go and play it in front of these audiences that were huge and also totally indifferent. Right there, I mean, it's it's pretty sweet rock, but it, it's still like pretty hard rock. Our band? Uh, no, Smashing Pumpkins. Oh, crowd. Smashing Rock. Yeah, I mean, but they were also at that point like the biggest band in the world. I mean, they were huge, and so we were just like something they had to sit through. You know. And did you feel that? I mean, I can't. Yeah, I, but it was. But that's okay. It was fun. It was like for us, just it was fun to be on a big stage for the first time like that. And, that, and uh, right. And then the, the sort of half-filled arena. Young know, people are sort of like, no, yeah, they're, the they're, opening bands. Yeah, on. exactly. Yeah. So it's it's a rite of passage. And you, you guys, were, you were friends with the Smashing Pumpkins. We were. Yeah. Do you, are you still friends with him? Um, well, James Eha and I are really good friends. Yeah. And, and he hasn't actually been in the Smashing Pumpkins at this point right, since for like, a while. Yeah, yeah. For like 12 or 13 years. But um, oh, I can't believe we're getting so fucking old. It's that long ago already. I know. I know. I feel like we're talking about, you know. Isn't that wild? We put out our first wax cylinder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we put out our sheet music. Yeah. When the machines came out. Yeah. I know. We were all very excited. I know. Thank I know. God for Edison. Yeah. Uh, but uh, okay. So then, okay. So you open for the Smashing Pumpkins and then yeah. what happened? At that point, were you like, we're gonna, we're gonna make it, we're, we're gonna be huge? Was that a discussion you guys had? I, we went, we didn't really sit around and talk like that, to be honest. No, I, of just course as, not. You know, maybe, maybe, and not. it was also just part of the thing at the time. Is like just, you know, even if that is what you wanted, right? In the mid '90s, you couldn't really sit around and talk about it like that. But, um, but I mean, we were disappointed when like songs didn't get as much airplay as we hoped they would like or, which one which is one of your one of the sort of sleepers of your catalog do you think that you had a lot of hopes for um i don't they all are i mean <laughs> what do you want me to say i thought they could all be hits you know i thought they were all like the biggest hits ever i can't pick one i think a lot of people thought that early on you know the first record there was a lot of catchy songs on it but um whatever there was a few like you, you know not to compare but like i i'm surprised because like in my mind when i listen to specifically the type of music you do or like the uh the figs first record yeah 
like where where everything is just like you know popping and catching and yeah. it's tight it's sort of like why why isn't this just like all over the place yeah and it's just the time wasn't ready for it because like i see like green day and a couple of those other bands they're doing you know maybe not even as good a version of that type of music now and they're huge it was just like the times weren't synced up the little girls weren't ready yeah who knows i mean it's it's a lot of things and i think um it's it's I guess at a certain point we stopped thinking of it in terms like that and started thinking of it more in terms of like the coolest thing is if you have this really defined personality that's your own thing that you came up with and I feel like our band the reason that we've lasted a long time is that it kind of has that it's like a thing that if you like it and not everybody does but if you right. like it that's where you go to get it and right. it's not You're... really exactly like something else right so, so you just find your own little niche and then you sort of appreciate that you have that and that can keep you going and, and especially now because of what's happened and how the music business has completely imploded and there's no you know all the, there's a lot of people with that old school mentality still like you got to get a hit and you got to be on the radio but really like the new mentality is much more about you just do your thing and nurture it and like have your fans that feel connected to you and right I'm, and I'm, if you have that that's like the most valuable thing you can have because it'll last hopefully yeah i'm living that i yeah, mean you know, in, exactly in what i do right but like that's just that, that and you scale back your expectations maybe at the same time but it's like I have, but it took a long time. Right, right. So it's. Just, I mean, it really took a long time. But, you know, I mean, I kind of always knew that I wasn't for everybody, but there was a good chunk of time there where I thought I was definitely for more people than were showing up. Yeah, yeah. And maybe, <laughs> but, but maybe it grows then, and they've, you know, but you're not working so hard to like well, you get change humbled. yourself. You yeah. get humbled, and either you're going to accept it or you're going to fight it. Right. And if you fight humility, it, it, it's never pretty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think that's a bumper sticker. You can yeah. tell that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> why don't you use it for a song yeah I like that but like there was a, but you guys realize that at some point it's like clearly like because I realized that recently too you know after talking to uh, like uh, the way I think about music even what we're talking about with the Stones and with the Beatles and when, when I interviewed Jack White is that with music especially popular music especially with rock music it's not all it's not necessarily about musicianship as much as it is as having a thing yeah and I and I think that I don't know if a lot of people really think of it that way. It's like there, no one. You, you, if you, you would know your record, you know immediately. If somebody, if a fan of yours, they they know your sound. Your sound is defined. You yeah, Jack's sound is defined. You know, there's plenty of people that are sort of like, who the fuck is this? I don't know. It sounds like that other guy. But if you have a a, a defined thing that yeah. no one else really does, then you've done something amazing in music. Certainly. And also, you can be much more commercially successful that way. I mean, like, you know, classic example from sort of my generation of bands is Wilco, where they had this big fight with their label trying to write hit singles and stuff, and they kind of stuck to their guns. And, I mean, most bands would kill for a Wilco's career now. I mean, Wilco is a huge, successful band that plays to tons of people everywhere. And But, again, you know, they just completely got out of that game of, like, trying to have a commercial radio hit. Do you know him? Uh, I've met them all. You know, we 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 played a, a show or two with them, and we have the same lawyer. We sort of, but you know. isn't that funny? Yeah, you, know, you kind of everyone's connected by a few Jewish guys. It's yeah, not, the music business, especially. Yeah, you know, the music business. It's exactly. not. It's not six degrees of Kevin Bacon. It's six degrees of some guy yeah. named Saul. Yeah, actually, our Jew, our, our our Jewish lawyer is not Jewish. Oh, good. Yeah, well, that's good. Yeah. I guess. I, I don't yeah. know why I just said it's good. It seemed like the right thing to say in that moment. <laughs> Were you bar that's mi- good. Were you bar mitzvahed? No, I wasn't. I got a tennis racket instead of a bar mitzvah when I was 13. <laughs> hey, wait, were you given a choice? I was a choice, yeah. I took the tennis racket. Do you have siblings? I have a sister, yeah. Is she a musician? Uh, not a professional musician, but she does play, yeah. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And, you're, and your parents were like, yeah, oh, is my son a musician? <laughs> <laughs> I just saw in a window in um, 
on Robertson, like yesterday, there's this mm. nice Jewish guy's calendar. Have you ever yeah. seen that? Mm-hmm. Like, there's like a guy sitting at the piano. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't know what that is. A nice it's, Jewish guy's calendar? Yeah, it's just a calendar. It's just photos. <laughs> like, that's it. They're anonymous, nice Jewish guys. It's really hilarious. So when, yeah. like, now you license a lot of songs to television still? License? Um, I don't know how that works. Yeah, that, well, because, I mean, there's like, two you, things. I mean, there's there's people sometimes call up and want to license a song on your record for something, just put it in the background of a show or yeah. whatever they want to do with it. That's good coin, huh? It can be. Not as good as it used to be. Again, it's the same thing. Like, you know, everything's gotten sort of less good coin but um but that that still exists and depending on what it is it can be good well, and then, where's the good coin in music how does one make it um i i mean for me it's more just like adding a whole right, bunch of stuff up sure. together it's not so much like jackpots all the time you know right but but um yeah with tv sometimes people license your songs and and other times for me somebody will ask you to write something for them um that's more fun for me you know yeah um, and, but also, if you get that, have, did you write ever write any jingles or ads? A little bit, yeah. Like what? I actually just did one recently, and it's and it it came from a guy who um, he's a Fountains of Wayne fan, and that's why he called me. And Sweet. The, and, and it was it was a commercial for uh, New York State Lottery, and it uh-huh. was like zombies in it and yeah. stuff. So he they wanted they were trying to find a song to work in this zombies thing, and and. You know, it's one of these things that almost never happens where he's like, he's like, can you come up with something for this? And I had an idea basically as soon as he said it, and I went to the studio that night and recorded it in like an hour and sent it to him, and they all approved it, and it was done. And I was like, whoa, that's the greatest. I wish I wish that's how life worked, you know? Like, that never happens. Yeah. I mean, usually it's like 18 levels of approval, and yeah, at yeah, the yeah. end they don't end up using it. And, right, right. You know, you waste all this time, and then they don't want to pay you. Is there it, singing on it? Yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's uh it's it's me singing for the and, new york uh, state lottery yeah so if you want anyone wants to go see that um <laughs> but this guy this guy um jim that hired me is like a great he oh he does only great commercials and i, I checked out his reel and it's like they're all awesome and funny and, and and now that puts you in that sort of world of like I, yeah that. i don't know if it does we'll see that was one and if so. you like if you do have you ever done original score for tv a little bit, yeah. I mean, people think of me more for songs than score, so every once in a while, I'll get co- called for a score thing, but it's not really... But, like, for have you done an original song for TV? Original song? Yeah. Yeah, tons. I mean, tons. I, I We did, like... Um, I'm just trying to think of some stuff. Like, uh, I did a Christmas special with Stephen Colbert. Uh-huh. With, uh, I, I work a lot with a, a guy named David Jabberbaum, who's a comedy writer, who, yeah. who um, used to be at The Daily Show for many right. years. So he and I wrote a Broadway show together called... Crybaby, and then we wrote this thing for Stephen Colbert, which was a uh, Crybaby, the John Waters. It was a John Waters film, and then they turned it into a. Oh, you a did Broadway. that? I did do that. I didn't do the movie. No, I, I know that. Yeah, I did the Broadway version, which. Um, and you had to write original music for that. Yeah, I mean, so, what, but Crybaby was a musical, wasn't it? The movie. Yeah, and on Broadway, it was different songs. It was like they started over, and it was. I mean, basically, like they had this huge hit with Hairspray, and so it was the same producers. Like, well, we can do it again. We could take another John Waters movie and have another big hit, and it didn't quite work out. But but the show is okay, and and uh, you know, I really like a lot of the songs in it. Did you work with John Waters? I did. Well, he he was kind of like. Uh, around he didn't work on it on a day-to-day basis he made sure that you know it was okay by him he was kind of like approving or not approving things well it's Uh, it's fascinating to me because like you're mm -hmm. you're living the life of like um 
a real like it is Tim Pan Alley. It is like sort of applying the skill of songwriting to a more you know very conscious commercial success that that isn't you know what most people think of as singer songwriter. Like singer songwriters are sort of point of view guys. That yeah, yeah. Are, like are, I don't write from my diary. Like I feel right. sad today. Or, right. It's know. not a, an image kind of thing. It's sort of like a practical skill uh, that is challenging. And you know, and I imagine when you're looking at you know how Broadway works and and how to structure songs that have the build that would arc through an entire yeah show. yeah I, well I'm really I mean it's true I mean that kind of like craft side of it is still really appealing to me and and I think sometimes when you when you are a person who writes like that you know the downside is people think like oh well it's it's like it's like some kind of trick and there's no real like emotion it's or something but that's not really true at all i think like those kind of songs can actually end up being more emotional if you do it right and depending on the context that you're writing for oh yeah well the power you know? i mean you, you know like the generation before us or maybe even the one before them i mean the power of musicals was astounding yeah. i mean you know musicals were were like at the forefront of popular music for years yeah and and they still have a a, a real effect on people that i mean that's why you see um kind of uh what do you call them when they remake south pacific or or whatever uh whatever musical that like a gonna, revival like a revival yeah. it's because those songs are so fucking good yeah that they still stand st- up stand the test of time i mean totally. and, and that's a it's a very rare thing to have a song that that can transcend for that long yeah and and when how long did Cryberry Baby run? A couple months. I mean, it didn't, was, it didn't pan out. Well, it it, it was sort of, um, you know, nobody was really steering the ship in a way. It was like this idea to like let's do another one of these John Waters things. And I and I think there was nobody, nobody really decided, or I should say, like there were some differing opinions about should it be this family fun thing or should yeah. it be really John Waters and kind of edgy and and dark and and adult. And I think in the end it was neither, you know. Sort of, it wasn't quite, um, it wasn't, it wasn't quite a John Waters enough to be like scandalous or anything. But it also wasn't really something you'd bring your kids to. Was well, is that something you're interested in writing an original musical? Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely. Do you study musicals? No. Do you I mean, like I, them? I, generally, no. I don't like them. But I think it's a form that you can do really great stuff with. And I think you know, like, I mean. I don't know, like Book of Mormon, for example, is a good example. Yeah. Two guys that like said we we can make a musical that is great and fun. People and, love it, and people love it, and it's like you know, it's like this big episode of South Park, basically. But it's awesome, and it, you can tell they ha- you can feel like the fun they had making it. I haven't it's, seen it. Yeah, it's, it's here really now. Good. I know it's in L.A. It's it's really good. I, I mean, I I feel like the best thing about it is just the fact that those guys can pretty much do whatever they want and the, and so they can go and put something on stage and it doesn't get wrecked on the way it doesn't sure. get, nobody nobody like has the authority to tell them not to do something yeah, you know? very- I didn't have that at all like when I, I I was up against all these people that were like these theater like lifers and I was just this guy from this band that for some reason they chose to do this and it was like seriously like every day like listen kid like this is the way it's done like just, and really you know, like anybody- and I would just say well I, I don't know I mean you just cut the punchline out of this joke. I mean, I know I'm just the music guy, but like, there's no joke here anymore. Like, you left the the setup and you just cut the punchline. Yeah. It's like, well, not everything needs to be funny all the time. Like, right. It's a musical comedy. I don't know. <laughs> kind of does, doesn't it? No one's no one's looking at this as like, well, that's not realistic. You yeah. Know, you know what I mean? Like, I yeah. know there was like, and there, there was a lot of talk like that where I was just like, well, I'm just a guy that consumes entertainment. I know I'm not like the expert here on Broadway, but this seems like it's just not really entertaining this little part oh, and who were these guys i mean was did you meet or work with anybody you respected oh yeah i mean i the reason i even agreed to do it was because of the chance to like immediately kind of work with these really top guys i mean in particular 
um, Tom Meehan and Mark O'Donnell, who wrote the book, and Tom Meehan, these guys, I mean, Tom Meehan wrote Annie, right. and he wrote The Producers, and Young Frankenstein, and like, you know, he's just a legendary guy. And Mark O'Donnell, who actually just passed away like a, a month ago, sadly, but he's also like an incredibly brilliant guy. The two of them wrote Hairspray. Right. And um, so just getting getting to work with them was unbelievable. What did you take away from that? I mean, was there things that you learned? Were there tricks? Were, were there moments? Where yeah, you I mean, everything. Thing, I knew nothing going into it. They, yeah. they pretty much taught me everything. And then I also met David. What are some of the tricks of writing a musical? Like, you know, when, when, when you had those discussions of, you know, looking at the book and deciding on the music. I mean, what were some of the things that were kind of well, important? Well, I mean, I, I guess one of the things they tell you as a songwriter is that a, a song in a musical has to keep the story moving. It's not like writing a pop song where you're just repeating the chorus three times. Like, you can't stop the show. It has to feel like the plot's still moving forward and the story's still being told. And, and if there is a solo moment where the song is like one of those kind of powerful, um, you know, not a ballad, but where, where one character is, is singing a lament of some kind, yeah. it still has to reveal the emotion that is part of the arc. Yeah, and it just has to feel like the story's still just happening. Mm-hmm. You, you can't, you, you don't just stop and do a song, right? And then get back into the show. So right. that's a little bit of a different mindset for me as a writer. Yeah, you know, I think it, I mean, musical sounds fun. I, I I have yet to find like, you know, the killer project. I would love to do that more. The one thing that it did lead to, I mean, apart from this Colbert thing, which is amazing, is like um, David Javerbaum and I ended up getting hired to um, work on the. The, a bunch of award shows like the Tony Awards and the and the Emmys where you're basically writing these musical theater songs like we did this one for uh, Neil Patrick Harris um, uh, which was DJ's idea but it was called uh, Broadway It's Not Just for Gays Anymore and uh-huh. it was the opening song to the Tony's oh, yeah, 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 a couple yeah. years ago and it was just like it killed you know it was a great idea and um, Neil killed it and you know so that in a way opened more doors for me I think in the theater world than the Crybaby had even though that was a show that I'd worked on for like five right. years I mean and this was a song that we worked on for two weeks but a lot more people saw it and they loved it, it, it I mean yeah it was, it was great it's just like good idea well executed do you live in the city now? I live in Riverdale in the Bronx yeah yeah. got a house up there? yeah and you got a room with a piano in it? I do yes yeah <laughs> <laughs> like a real piano? I, yep a real piano yeah that's nice mm-hmm now, okay, so are you going to do another Fountains of Wayne record? Um, I think so. I don't know. Ask me again shortly. I mean, you know, like I said, between every record, you know, Chris is sort of deciding whether he wants to do another record. So <laughs> I, I imagine we probably will at some point. So it's up to the singer? Kind of is, yeah. <laughs> if he doesn't sing, you know, there's no record. Do, but how much do, what, do you guys write together or you just write all the songs? Um, no, we both write. We don't really write together. We 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 used to when we started out, and right. now now we just kind of bring them in and we arrange them together. So he, he uh, do do uh, is it go back and forth with music and lyrics? Like sometimes he'll do music and lyrics, and then you'll do no. Music we both and... write music and lyrics our own, totally. In, like just the song's done. That's it. Like I'll bring in a song and that's it's finished. And oh, he'll, okay. And he'll do the same. So you you when on a record it's going to be mixed up between you and him with some yeah, I mean, writing sh- credit. We share the credits. There was there was one record where we didn't do that, but basically we we just split the credits down the middle. And you know, so we were talking about at the beginning of like yeah. not wanting to have the fights about right. You know who wrote. So we right. agree, we agreed to that early on. But um, it, I mean, partly just as a function of geography, we don't write together, and partly because I think we just got to a point where it was easier to just rather than trying to explain to somebody 
this weird idea that you had. Right. And tr- hey, you want to help me try to figure out this song about this football player? Like, yeah, what yeah. the hell are you talking about? <laughs> you know, it's easier <laughs> to just do it. Right. I mean, there have been cases where like I'll write a song and the idea is kind of spelled out, but then I just get lazy and don't write the last verse. And so he'll come in and say, I got know, like I got the last three lines for you maybe. Oh, that's good. But, but even that we don't really do so much anymore. Well, as a 44-year-old guy, I mean, what do you, like what what do you find yourself listening to? I mean, um, you know, regularly, like you know when you're doing the iPod thing. Yeah, like, most, who do you go back to? Oh god, I, that's always like a weird like stumping question to me because a lot of times it's like I'll be listening to something that has something to do with something I'm trying to work on, so it's almost like reference slash enjoying it at the same time. Well, I find that if I exercise, I get you know I, you know w- weirdly, I you know if you look at your i your iPod sort of history or your iTunes, you can yeah. sort of see what, see you, what you actually listen to. Yeah, and it's right. uh, it's it's sort of bizarre. It's a lot of stuff that I used to listen to in high school. Yeah, I don't want to be one of those guys, but you know, I, I listen but, to. But some music hits you in, in a different way at that age. Like music meant so much to me when I was thirteen. Like these records were just you know, my entire life. The Beatles? I mean, yeah, the Beatles before that, but then like, you know, my when for high school for me it was like the police and the pretenders and like sort of later kinks. Yeah, like, yeah. And, and there was like this sort of like uh that period. I mean, I just wore those records out and well, it's later also, later kinks like Misfits and uh Well that was like um give the people what they want. Like uh-huh. do you remember that record and like yeah. I, I, mean, I was never like I've still yet to wrap my mind around the, the whole kinks thing yeah well i i mean that's the thing i when i first discovered the kinks they i didn't know that they had put out records in the 60s because i heard these 80s kinks and i just thought they were like another new band like the police oh really <laughs> or the clash right. and, and the kinks which was which was your kinks album um give the people what they want had like yeah. paranoia oh yeah 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 that's a good one that's but then a, we did a cover of this song later later on there was this ray davies um like tribute record and we did a cover of um this song called Better Things. Did you ever hear that That's song? That's an old one though, isn't it? No, it was on I think it was on that record. Um, oh really? But we did we just just kind of like a bashed out version of it. And uh that's a good song. So yeah. have you gone back and he, you... Ray Davies, by the way, he wrote the liner notes to this tribute record. And you could tell from like looking at the liner notes that he didn't actually listen to the record before he wrote the liner notes, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's hilarious to read them. Did Maybe... you ever get to work with him? Uh no, I, I never got to work with him. So okay, so the pretenders. So, the, yeah, I mean, but, but yeah, like kinks, the, I mean, police. especially I, yeah, I was very into the police when I was like in you know <sighs> they were pretty amazing ninth, huh for a few records grade. yeah wow, but also I think back then like there just wasn't as much entertainment out there so having a record with you know when a record came out that was a big deal just the oh, release yeah. I, and you'd go into the record store I, and buy it and then so excited the only like audio visual component was like you just look at the record just, cover yeah that's it you and if you were it. lucky it opened up yeah and then they started yeah. making videos and it was like whoa yeah but but it was just a bigger deal like it just feels like now i mean it's part of the thing you know just putting out a record just doesn't seem like as big a deal anymore yeah Maybe where's it's, the, it's, uh, the it's like, cherishing of the uh, the actual artifact and whatnot yeah and i mean that's maybe a function of my age too but also just there's just so much like entertainment mm-hmm. just so much coming out every second you don't really need that much and it, it yeah. just makes everything less special and then also the fact that music is something that you can just email to people now it's weird right yeah it just makes it really kind of all feel like a little worthless and like yeah not- i mean i'm surprised like you know i've got this those most a lot of those records i had in high school yeah but that's all of them really and and some people are putting out vinyl again i've got a turntable and i'll listen to it yeah just to have that feeling of taking it out and putting it on and i think it does sound a little different and better yeah i but i heard that vinyl's coming back is it um not for me fuck that (laughs) (laughs) but i I know i was gonna say like when i finally moved all my cds onto you know 
I like I went through that period where I loaded them all up. Yeah. Into iTunes. Yeah. Because I had them. Yeah, and yeah. It took, takes like weeks. I know. When I we I moved like four years ago, and I had like thousands of CDs, and yeah. I put them in these boxes, and I knew when I was doing it, I'm never going to open these boxes. I just, that's it. I will never see the and and now if you actually just want to hear any of those songs that are in those boxes, you just go to YouTube and listen to the song and get it out of I your know, system. Isn't that weird? When it's am just I gonna, all am free I and you just go listen to it and then you don't want to hear it anymore. Yeah, I let go of the jewel boxes but I still have all my CDs and binders Yeah, and they're just over in a storage unit. And you'll never go, you'll There's never a, pull them out. But aren't you finding that about a lot of shit? I mean, at some point I got to lose some of these books but you yeah. know, they become like furniture. They become cozy. Yeah. Like, but I'm starting to have that, that it's period. Like orders a little bit. A little bit. Yeah. But like, I'm starting to have that period in my life where I'm like, wow, that thing's not important at all to me. Why do I still have it? I know. You know, there's yeah, just a lot of- It's like a time sh- capsule. Yeah, but it, it, like some of them just lose their, their meaning. Yeah. They don't represent- I, I have like, you know, with CDs, I probably have like every sort of alternative rock album that was released from like 1988 to 1994. I have all of them. I used yeah. to go to like Tower Records and just spend like- you know, a hundred bucks and just yeah. buy anything I had read, like one sentence. About. Right. I'll buy this. Yeah. I'll I buy heard the whole it was record. Good. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, and then I'd never, I listened to it once. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, that happens all the time. I was that guy too. Or what I would do is I'd hear like one song by one band and I'm like, I have to have everything that they ever did. So I'd get like six CDs. Right. You get really into them. Right. All the, well, I'd want to, right. but you know, then you'd sort of like, well, no, I know why this album's the best. <laughs> Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It took him a while to get here. I mean, <laughs> right. I, I appreciate the early stuff, but it's not the same. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, man, it was good talking to you, Adam. Yeah, thank you for having me. You feel good? I feel pretty good. How about you? I'm good. Do we yeah. cover everything we need to? I think so. Yeah. I think so. I don't know. What, did we need to cover anything? Was there, <laughs> it was all very was important. Was there a checklist? I, yeah. forgot, I forgot to tell you that this was a, a really an, imp- an important process yeah. that I outlined specifically. Yeah. All right, let's go. Uh, I'll introduce you to my girlfriend. Okay, and we'll cool. we'll see how she is. That's it. That's the show. That was a, an interesting talk about music that I'd never had before. Good cat, that Adam. And uh, if you bailed on the first 10 minutes, go back and listen for the tour dates and for the deals on the pre-sales. And have a happy new year. Be careful tonight. And, you know, yeah, just just don't wrap your car around a thing. Could you not do that? Go to WTF Pod for all your WTF Pod needs. You know what they are. I'm not going to go on and on today. You just hear my stomach make noise? Can you hear it? Holy shit. Is there something living inside of me? I know there are little things that are supposed to be there, but is it... All right, look. Uh, let's just... You know, let's just... Not do this. Let's not discuss... My, my gas... On New Year's Eve.